Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Our thanks as ever to Upgrade Fitness for their support of the show here every Wednesday to round up the best of Bailiwick Sport. My name is Tony Kerr and alongside me for this one is Harry Jones. Hello, Tony. Great to see you, Harry. Still basking in the uh, reflected glory of the Island Games. Um, we're still talking about that. In fact, coming up in this pod, um, I sat down with uh, Pete Bozier, the president of the Guernsey Basketball Association, and David Pising, um, who is a longtime sports administrator, cricketer, um, and someone who's been a big advocate of sports tourism. He wrote a very well-reasoned article in the paper, uh, which was published a bit earlier on this week, outlining his vision for how sports tourism um, can bring huge benefits to the island. So we wanted to talk a bit about that with him and with Pete as well, about just what an impact the Island Games have had on that sport. Yeah, we are still thinking about the Island Games, but there's lots more going on besides. It definitely hasn't been a quiet time um, since uh, Guernsey 2023 finished, has it, Harry? You've been all over the place, um, which is great to see. Um, we'll have a, a whiz through what's been happening, what's coming up as well. Um, pretty big week for cricket, domestic I know you were down there on Saturday for, for the big sort of well, evening league triple header on a Saturday. Um, but yeah, that evening league one Rosal Shield um, could be decided this week, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's been loads. There's been loads going on, as you mentioned there, since the Ireland Games. It's been pretty much non-stop. You had three games last week on three days, three games taking place on Saturday, and then another three games uh, this week. And yeah, it looks like Indies are about to secure a title. I mean, they could they could do it tomorrow without even um, without even lifting a finger because they play, well, regulars play Wanderers tonight. If regulars lose, um, then or if the game gets washed out, then they cannot catch Indies anymore. Nobody else can catch Indies already because there's only a few games of the season to go. Griffin's well out of the title race after losing three times in the last three weeks. They can't get near to Indies. And I mean, Indies could have the game rained off tomorrow and that would be enough for them to win the league. They just need a single point. They're on 14 out of 14 points in their first seven uh, irregulars currently on eight points so I think eight points is right yeah so they could still they are still in with a shot they could finish on 14 points and win it on net run rate um, but yeah it looks like to be honest it's only going one way Indies really do not like look like losing anytime soon they play Kobo tomorrow night for a chance to uh, to get the title wrapped up I was speaking to Nathan actually a little bit earlier I was asking him just to check if the game does get cancelled if it um, if that would give them the point and it would be enough for them to win the league. But he says he wants to play, he wants the game to go ahead. They want to win it in style. They've been so good this season, you know, haven't made any mistakes, just the same as last year. And, you know, it looks like it's going to be the same result and probably another Rose Shield going back to them. Yeah, Nathan Lassissier, that is, isn't it? The uh, Indies captain um, looking to make it two uh, in two after that maiden title last summer. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've gone so well. And of course, the extra carrot of European Cricket League qualification. Um, yeah, they could be back to Spain uh, at the start of next year, which I'm sure yeah. they'll, all, they'll all have been thinking about uh, for most of the summer. Um, yeah, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch out for this week. You've also been down at Lancrest because we had the, uh, the Boys Island final at the weekend. Jaden Tucknot um, beating Lewis Marley there. And uh, yeah, big weekend to come as well because um, uh, our local players, our local island champions heading over to Jersey for the CI finals as well. Yeah, yeah, plenty of golf going on. I yeah, popped down to Lancrest at the weekend for a really high quality final between Jaden Tucknot and Lewis Marley. Um, you know, both both really good players. The standard, the standard of competition is so high. Tough conditions too. Oh yeah, 36 holes they played Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. I got there Sunday morning just for the last couple of holes and pretty much straight away, Lewis Morley off the tee on 18, hits it within about a yard of the hole. I'm just thinking, how are they doing this? They're so good. <laughs> um, yeah, Jaden Tucknot in the M1. He came so close to winning uh, the men's island title this year. I think he was one up after 16 against Tom Lehure. Then 
They went, then it went um, back to evens. And then Tom Lee won on the last hole, I believe, to get his second Ireland title. So yeah, he came so close to win that men's. He did do it uh, in the boys' competition, won four and three. And um, yeah, Jay, I mean, Jane's been doing amazing recently. And I think it was just yesterday, he played in the Portons Golf Junior Open uh, in England. He hit nine birdies um, to win that, to win that competition. Uh, under par round 68 to win the scratch prize. Um, yeah, he's been absolutely flying. Absolutely, absolutely flying is and. Yeah, he goes to uh, to Jersey at the weekend to play in the Channel Island Finals. Just got the uh, schedule of fixtures here. In the men's, it's um, Tom Lehure. He uh, plays against Harrison Carlion. You know, it's not good enough for Harrison just to be one of the best cricketers in Jersey. He's got to be the best golfer as well. He won the Jersey Island title this year, so they play. And um, that's, yes, Tom Lehure's first crack at CI goal because he won it in 2020, I believe, the Island title. Didn't get a shot at playing in the Channel Islands because of COVID. And yeah, I spoke to him a little bit early this week. Very excited to play in that game of the weekend. So he's absolutely raring to go. Can't wait to be playing. Uh, in the ladies, Veronica Bugor won, I think, her 19th title in Guernsey this year. Absolutely ridiculous achievement. She's playing against Iman, Iman Hamid Wilkinson. On the other end of the scale, she is 16 years old, uh, the Jersey champion for, for the first time. Unbelievable winning, winning that title at 16. So they uh, are playing in the ladies CI final in the juniors. As mentioned, Jaden Tucknot in action against Nathan Craig-Jones. And I'm sure Jaden will be fancying himself after the way he's been playing in the last week at Lancrest and then away in England. He said he wanted to make it three out of three by the end of next week. So it'll be interesting to see if he can do that. And the senior men's, Bobby Ego, he won the Ireland title for the fifth time uh, back, I think it was in November, that game. And then the ladies' midsection, Di Hudson's in action and the ladies' bronze, Debbie Lapidus in action. So yeah, jam-packed weekend of golf over in Jersey at the Royal Jersey. Uh, it's two rounds, the, um, the junior ladies and the men's match one on Saturday afternoon, one on Sunday morning, and then the other three matches all taking place on Sunday morning. So, yeah, it's going to be a great event. But yeah, it's ever a strong, strong Guernsey team going over for that eh, across those fixtures. Um, yeah, and, and for Jaden at 16, yeah, you think, given the form, he's as, uh, yeah, he's got as good a shot as any uh, to, to land that victory. Uh, always challenging for the, for the golfers to play away from home, isn't it? But, um, yeah, best of luck to all of them. Let's talk football because there was a, a lot of action, wasn't it, at Foots Lane across the weekend with the uh, the latest BWCI um, tournament. Um, we've also well, had a lot going on with our, our kind of budding and, and, well, budding and excelling pros over in the UK. Uh, let's start with the BWCI. Um, yeah, always great to see that uh, event taking place and the enthusiasm around it. Fantastic to see Bristol City sending uh, sides over as well uh, to compete. Look like uh, they had a great time. Uh, yeah, how did it all play out? Yeah, well, um, by all accounts, another fantastic BWCI. It's one of the best events in youth football, for sure. Someone everyone looks forward to when they get to that sort of age. And yeah, it's great to see, you know, more teams coming over again. Obviously, due to COVID, the likes of Everton, Fulham, Southampton had to stop sending teams. They haven't returned to the event yet. Uh, Bristol City came back last year. They sent over one team. Then this year, they brought over two teams, which is great. And they're both in separate groups, which means that, you know, every kid got to play against the Bristol City team, which I'm sure is something they were all, you know, loving, really looking forward to and then enjoyed that experience. You know, despite, you know, most of them, unfortunately, not coming out on the right side. Bristol City, very dominant, as you'd probably expect. I believe it was a year four, two year four Bristol City teams that came over. Um, one of their teams did win the whole event very convincingly in the final. Uh, beat Jersey Scottish 4-0, I believe, in the Shield final. But Sylvans, they nearly actually beat Bristol City in the semis. They took them to a penalty shootout. So um, a great experience for those for those Sylvans players. And I was speaking to Ross Allen about it yesterday and just saying, you know, the sort of confidence that will give them, you know, local players 
to know that against the stronger of the two Bristol City teams, they can push them all away and only lose, you know, down to spot kicks, you know, random, random selection of shots from, from how many yards it is out in, in youth football to take them that far is, it's amazing. And it'll be great experience for them. Uh, in the plate, North won again. They won the plate last year and they won it again this time around, winning 2-0 in that plate final against Bodyline St. Martins. Uh, yeah, I spoke to Jason Tardiff, who was coaching that alongside uh, his son, Caden Tardiff. I believe they're doing the North Under-16s next year. They were doing the yeah, North BWCI side. So, yeah, nice for North to get a bit of silver in the competition. But, yeah, by all, I mean, by all accounts, speaking to Ross, you know, quite in quite in depth about it, he was sort of one of the ones running the show at the weekend. He said it was fantastic. All the kids still had the buzz from seeing the Island Games, so were even more excited to be involved. More Jersey teams coming over this time. I think there was one last year. There were three this time around. They always do quite well in these tournaments, the Jersey teams more physical sides quite often. So, you know, it's a great experience because kids in Guernsey normally just get to play against kids in Guernsey. So having that experience in their year four, year five to test themselves against three Jersey teams this time and two Bristol City teams, you know, it's fantastic for their development and long may it continue. And hopefully it just expands and grows to the point where it was before COVID in the in the coming years. Yeah, definitely such a such a great fixture in the calendar. Um, I saw Bristol City crediting uh, Alex Scott's mum for bringing a bit of good luck to their side there. We've been keeping an eye on on uh, Ashton Gate and, uh, and and well Wolves as well Bournemouth uh, no sign yet of uh, of any progress on on a potential move uh, Alex has been uh, impressing for Bristol City it's fair to say uh, in their pre-season friendlies uh, I saw the clip that was uh, posted on the Twitter of of what he did uh, against Newport um, where he just kind of yeah looked like he was playing a different sport <laughs> um, so yeah it'll be interesting um, to see what happens this summer with him we're keeping a very close eye on that of course um, one player uh, over in the UK um, who isn't on the move but has signed a new contract is uh, Joe Adams at Wigan and I know you spoke to his dad um, he's now coaching at St Martin's Ed um, yeah great to see that that he's settled so well there and, it, and he's obviously caught the eye yeah it was really fantastic news to see Joe doing so well obviously it was more you know because the likes of AC and, and Alex and Tim they got their they got their way in because you know they're playing for Guernsey FC and um, Bristol City saw them do well and obviously that was that link Joe was, had a bit of a different route didn't he he went over when he was 60 moved to Southampton he played for Eastleigh for quite a while played for Scholing in the non-leagues and it's just worked his way up. He's worked so hard. Ed was saying about it, his dad, about, you know, this success is all down to Joe and the way he's pushed himself to get to this level and join Wigan, I believe it was in February of 2022. He's been a been a mainstay in their, in their youth side since then, played for the under-21s. I actually saw him in action a few months ago. I went to go and watch AC play for Bristol City 21s against Wigan. Joe was in action and Joe was really impressive that day. He's such an amazing athlete and that's something that, you know, pro clubs really like at that level. They like players who are real athletes, you know, they're strong, quick. And Joe's got all that versatile as well. And so it's really amazing news, the fact that they've shown their faith in him. Because it wasn't like his deal was expiring. It was, you know, we should be offering He's still had a year left. They activated the one-year extension and they've basically torn up that contract and said, right, here's a new one. We want you at least till 2025. So it's that reassurance that, you know, a League One club want him to be there playing, training with the first team, you know, playing games. He's played in pre-season, was involved against Hearts, I believe, and against the Hungarian side too. So yeah, he's just he's basically forcing the issue, forcing his way through, and he's being rewarded for everything that he's doing. Yeah, you know, as I said, an amazing achievement for him to get a new deal at, at the club. And from what I speak, from what I was saying, um, from what Ed was saying, sorry, when I was chatting with him, um, was that Wigan? You know, they used to be a team obviously very known for their, for their long ball style of football and that sort of thing. They've changed approach. Re- they've changed approach recently, I should say. Uh, Sean Maloney's coming as the manager. He used to be the assistant of Belgium. He's come in and yeah, they play with a bit of a new approach now, a new system, a bit more of a fluid system, which really suits Joe because Joe's a very versatile footballer. 
And yeah, basically the aim now for him is to try and get first team opportunities yeah. and find his way in. Yeah, you think can't be too long before he gets uh, gets to go in the first team and, yeah. and get some minutes, which will be yeah, fantastic to see. And yeah, 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 as you say, with the with the new coaching setup there and with Wigan um, back in League One, you know, there's probably a good platform for him to to make his mark now and, and hopefully yeah help them back uh, back up to the championship so um yeah that's going to be definitely one to follow this season i mean the football season's kind of you know, rearing into uh into sight isn't it i mean we've got the women's world cup on at the moment i, I thought I, I wanted to read out actually what mayor Letizia put on instagram um because i thought it was, it was actually you know fantastic obviously we were all pretty shocked that she didn't make uh, england squad um for the tournament uh a kind of mystifying decision in many ways after what had been such an amazing season um for mayor at manchester united um, but it wasn't to be um, she traveled down as as one of two um kind of standby players if you like um, but yeah she put on uh instagram yesterday um some of the worst news to some of the best memories made so happy to have come to australia with the lionesses to help with the preparations for the world cup football in the sun to exploring this beautiful place good vibes only from the pitch to england's biggest fan um which i mean you know well you know we we, we kind of spoken to so many times over the years as she's progressed through the ranks but she's got such a fantastic approach and attitude and mentality um that, that you kind of you always felt that you know despite the fact that that would have been a devastating kind of blow to her young career um yeah you know, at that time to to come back and um and kind of get the best out of the situation and, and use it to to, to move on um yeah is, is both no surprise but also great to see yeah exactly um yeah it would have been a great experience for her going down under and being involved with the squad preparing for a World Cup, something that's definitely going to set her up well for future years. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, I don't think anyone over here's mind that she is going to be a regular in that England team in years to come. She broke in uh, this season, of course, uh, was involved in the finalism. I didn't come on, but was a part of that squad. So it shows that obviously they've got their eye firmly on her. They want her to be involved. And yeah, as you say, everyone was so shocked the fact that she wasn't in it. Such a good season playing for Man United, an absolute mainstay of their defence. Was so impressive. Yeah, didn't get included in that squad, but, you know, th that post exactly just shows her mentality. She's not going to dwell on it for too long. You know, it's not going to hold her back. She went away. She worked on, you know, she says she's made some of the best experiences of her life. And I'm sure that's true because it must be fantastic being involved in the preparation to such a big event. You know, the Women's World Cup, of course. And I'm very, very certain we're going to be seeing her playing in Euros and World Cups in years to come. And hopefully that experience sets her up in some way. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I say, the football season uh, kind of approaching very, very fast now. GFC uh, are back in training or back playing uh, um, sort of warm-up games. Um, their season is kind of remarkably soon. Their first game <laughs> at Fitzlane on the 12th of August. So we'll have much more coverage uh, in the press and on this podcast uh, between now and then. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we've also got the Youth Commonwealth Games. Um, our team heading out on Monday um, to compete in that in the, well, the Trinbago games in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, uh, I think eight swimmers and two cyclists uh, heading out to uh, take part in that event, which will be incredible. Um, so we'll have a coverage of that to come as well, um, including more on this podcast next week before the start of that event on the 4th of August. I've also got the All-Terrain Challenge going on at the moment. Um, our very own Mike Batiste uh, leading the way in that after a couple of stages, which is awesome to see. Um, he was, oh, I was lucky enough to have him on uh, on my team in last year's uh, town relay because we had two press uh, two press quartets out in that. 
you could probably do 10 laps of town uh, in rapid pace and not break a sweat. So, uh, yeah, good to see. That continues through to the weekend, finishes um, in Herm as is customary. And also a big uh, big rowing event to watch out for this weekend as well. Um, the Gory to Carteret uh, race uh, returns for the first time since 2019. So uh, Guernsey's row is heading over to Jersey and then uh, to France for that event, which is good to see. been a, a really disrupted season um, of rowing. So, uh yeah, hopefully the weather holds uh, and that one goes ahead because, uh, yeah, it's a, a really great uh, event to have back on the calendar. Right, that's it for part one. Coming up next, we'll hear from Dave Pising about sports tourism and from Pete Bozier about the impact of the Island Games on basketball. Welcome back. Our thanks once again to Upgrade Fitness for their support of the show. Um, if you haven't been to have a look or if you're not a member yet, um, do check it out. Uh, it's just behind the Rohays, uh, brand new state-of-the-art gym in St. Peterport. Um, it is uh, an absolutely incredible facility. Um, yeah, so go and have a look or check out upgrade.fitness online um, for more info. Um, yeah, we really appreciate their support. Right, as I say, you might have seen in the press uh, earlier on this week an article from David Pising. Um, who uh, is a cricketer and longtime sports administrator in the island. Um, yeah, he wrote quite a, a long and, uh, as I say, well-reasoned piece um, outlining, uh, well, the case for sports tourism um, for Guernsey and uh, yeah, the opportunity on offer there and, and why Guernsey really needs to go after it um, right now. So we wanted to speak to him uh, about that in a little bit more detail. Um, and we also wanted to hear from one of the sports um, who uh, yeah, really had a shot in the arm from the Island Games. That is, of course, basketball. The Bosey Dome was absolutely packed uh, day after day um, for the uh, competition uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so we invited in Pete Bozier, the president of the Guernsey Basketball Association, um, to shed some light on the kind of impact uh, the Island Games has had on that sport and to find out what he thinks about the potential for, well, sports tourism and for, for the sports market in Guernsey to grow off the back of the Island Games. Um, so, yeah, I caught up with them a little earlier on today. Dave, Pete, welcome back to the pod. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Pete, last time I saw you, um, you were outside the Bosey Dome where you probably spent about 100 and 50 hours probably uh, during Island Games week. Have you recovered? Yeah, fully recovered now. Um, yeah, it was a crazy week. Like we joked so many times. I spoke to you and other media about weeks, months before about packing the dome and we hashtag packed the dome and I think it actually worked. Um, well, I know it worked because Bosier had to close on one day just to stop people coming in. So yeah, it gained itself success. Was absolutely shattered the week after, but great, great for sport, great for Guernsey basketball, great for Guernsey generally. And um, yeah, what a successful week. Yeah, were you surprised? I mean, as you say, you know, you wanted people down there. Were you surprised by just how many people turned up to watch the basketball? We were surprised for the non-Guernsey games. So the Guernsey games, we knew we were going to be busy. Um, it exceeded all expectations. But even the games the lower end games that we weren't expecting. Like there was Falklands versus Menorca and it was packed on at 11.30 in the morning. Like we had school kids taking up the grandstand and we filled the grandstand with the school kids because we thought we needed a bit of an atmosphere. And then we had people turning up and standing and sitting on the sideline and filling the balcony for a game like that at 11.30 in the morning. So yeah, the Guernsey public were phenomenal and... We'll talk about it in a bit, but it looks like we've got a lot more Guernsey basketball fans <laughs> than we ever, ever anticipated. So, yeah, it's a phenomenal week. Phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, Dave, as someone who's been involved in Guernsey sport for, for a while now, of course, um, were you 
were you moved by the the week of the island games and, and just how the guernsey public embraced it yeah, I wasn't surprised, but yeah, it was it was just amazing amount of buy-in from the public. I mean, even people who, you know, typically might have moaned about inconvenience of, you know, getting around and things being busy and everything. It just the, the island buy-in was amazing. And what also struck me was I don't know what the official number was because I saw fourteen hundred at one stage, but twelve hundred was referred to as well. The number of volunteers who came forward to help with the games. I mean, that's a remarkable percentage of people wanting to contribute in in some way in some big way small way but collectively as a team it was just unbelievable what what got delivered um you know credit to the organizing committee for you know for for, for making all that work because i think it ended up seven years didn't it from start to finish because of a delay with covid but brilliant um, buy-in from from everybody and um but not no not a surprise no really not yeah um, and i think we wanted to get you guys together to reflect on the on the legacy and what it means there's probably two angles really aren't there uh, dave you wrote a, a fantastic piece um that went in the press earlier this week uh, about with sort of setting out your vision for sports tourism and and how the island can capitalize on the island games and going forward on that opportunity which we'll come on to um but in terms of the kind of direct local sporting legacy Pete, uh, you mentioned that the, the increase in, in guernsey basketball fans but an increase in potentially in guernsey basketball players as well oh, had an amazing response yeah it's been phenomenal so the week after the weekend the games finished um our future stars which is our under 16 program um, we have an inbox, we have a Facebook page. Um, within 48 hours, we had 150 parents email us to ask how their children can get involved in basketball who had never played the sport and want to get involved. Um, a few of them experienced it slightly on the back of youth games. Um, so we kept their contact details. But yeah, I think the whole buzz around basketball, I think everyone knew basketball was an exciting sport, but I don't believe many people who turned up that week had actually seen a live game saw how fast it was saw how exciting it was someone scoring literally every 20 30 seconds so something's always happening um so for us now it's just looking to accommodate all this interest um it's not just children we had an open session for ladies this weekend and we had 30 new ladies turn up to give the women's game a go um, the men are on a bit of a break at the moment, so we're sort of going to look to focus on that sort of mid-August. But yeah, it's just trying to put all of our eggs in one basket, really, to try and accommodate the interest that's been generated on the impact of the games. And like you say, a legacy that's been almost formed. Yeah, put that into context for us. I mean, how many kids do you normally have at Future? Do you have involved in Future Stars? So Future Stars, our subscription is normally about 120 which play on a Saturday from 11 o'clock in the morning through different age groups till about 2.30, 3 o'clock on the afternoon on a Saturday. So that's now doubled. And we've just got to try and accommodate <laughs> that the best we can. Because um, at the end of the day, we don't want to be turning children away because we can't accommodate them um, due to lack of time, lack of facilities. We have the coaching capacity. But for us, it's now just trying to find how we can mould that all together to make sure that these children don't miss out on an opportunity. I'm not saying that they'll all continue playing basketball, but let's give them an opportunity to try the sport. And if they have two or three sessions and want to continue, fantastic. But we need to be able to accommodate that. And Dave, in terms of team sports over the last few years, you know, they have been challenged by maybe different tastes that you know differing lifestyles or, or changes in lifestyles um but do you think basketball's got a real chance to, to grow off the back of this 
I think it has, um, provided that the facilities are made available to make it happen. Um, you know, you, as Pete says, you don't want to be turning people away um, because you can't accommodate them. And we, you know, facilities are a, are a must. Um, coaches and aspiring coaches will probably come out of the woodwork quite naturally. Um, you know, people want to put, put something back into the sport, but if you haven't got the, the facilities suitable to... Um, to capture all of that enthusiasm and get people doing it playing regularly then the legacy actually dies um, and what a wasted opportunity that you know that would be so facilities are a, are a massive part of the uh, of the picture yeah do you feel there's a bit of a, an urgency then Pete in terms of capturing this moment I mean how hard are you guys working as a well how much capacity have you got as a committee to yeah we to- we have the knowledge we have the coaches we have the people internally willing to help it's just making sure that we do have those facilities like, yes, Beaux-Jour is our home and where we play our league games, um, but that's not always available for us throughout the times of the year. Like, for example, I've just put just had the dates available for our league fixtures that we'll start putting together over the next couple of weeks, and I'm missing five dates between September and Christmas because there's functions, there's maybe boxing, there might be a netball tournament or something like that. So it's just trying to establish, making sure that we have those courts available for us to be able to use them within a facility, whether or not it's Beaux-Jour or whether or not the development of Les Osways happens or another opportunity may occur um, at another facility. But it's just making sure that we have something and we also need something to be able to attract teams to come to Guernsey. We played National League before and we've played all of our home games at Solent University in Southampton because teams weren't willing to come here um, because we didn't have the facility and cost and that's obviously something else that we can go into but we just need something that maybe if we were able to partner with other sports who are similar to us like volleyball or netball, we could have a shared facility that we could all impact, we can all benefit from this massive impact that the Ireland Games has left us. Yeah, you mentioned the league. Obviously, you know, you play some great stuff, very competitive. But in terms of that kind of putting the best of basketball in front of people, you know, you said before about the fact that maybe people didn't quite appreciate how fast and how exciting it is as a sport. If you're not giving Ireland players the chance to play as a team in front of a home crowd you're perhaps you you know you're not capturing that no I agree and like having spoken to sort of more the home islands like respect to Isle of Man Isle of Wight um, they all said they'd be willing to come here they everyone told us that week that the setup that we had at Beaux-Jour was the best they've ever experienced like in terms of an arena setting um those floors that we brought in from the UK are used all over the country and the rings, so they're pretty easy to get hold of. It's obviously the cost of hiring them and so then the cost of hiring Beaux-Jour for a whole weekend to use it. But people would be willing to travel if we have the correct facility and setup for them to come. Because I believe if we said in four weeks' time we're playing the Isle of Man and we got them in, we could pack Beaux-Jour again. They were closing the doors of Beaux-Jour for the Ireland Games because they were overcapacitated, which is phenomenal. How can I ever have imagined that? Yeah, it is absolutely awesome. It's a probably a good time to to bring in Dave on the sports tourism front because that, that ties in very nicely um, with uh, well, well, with what you've been talking about for quite a while. To be fair, Dave, mm. I mean, 
um, you know, we, we, I think we spoke about it on the pod a couple of years ago now, um, but you wrote a quite a lengthy, sort of well-reasoned piece, I have to say, in the uh, uh, as ever uh, in the in the paper that went this week, and, and it, it's got quite a lot of attention, quite a lot of interest, um, and I'm sure quite a lot of feedback. But just first of all, briefly, just sort of set out the stall that that you think uh, well, you know, that the sports tourism offering uh, has. The, the the stall is that we've got everything going for us here um, on a periodic basis to run big events um, and we've got an, an even better opportunity to run smaller bite-sized events I think you know there's there's no doubt that the sort of event the Island Games was which happens to have been 20 years exactly 20 years since the previous one um, is not something you can easily plan for um, because there's no guarantee you're going to get to host it and 20 years is a long time to, you know, between between big events. But what you can do is build on all of that and get all of the component sports to look at what they would like to do as interim, um, almost annual or, or, you know, every two years, hold a big event uh, here that is a, you know, a four-day long weekend, people coming in, you know, it could be a 1,000 bed nights, 1,500 bed nights, which, of course, the tourism industry, hotel industry would, would love. Um and, you know, basketball's a good example of that. You know, my understanding is for the next two Ireland games, basketball's not not in it. That's correct. So all of those teams that you've been playing against are equally, those players are going to be angling for competition. Yeah, and that's the conversation we had with those islands when they were here. Yeah. We were all fully aware there is no basketball for the next four yeah. years. So to get the them back games. and just have a, a basketball tournament, a festival tournament, well, competition. Um, and, you know, that could be every two years, for example, and then maybe you go somewhere else in between and everybody shares it around to an extent that they can. But um, in any sport, you've got to have this constant um, target for your top players to be aspiring towards otherwise you've got an interinsular and that's about it yeah right or the extreme cost of going and playing in a uk league which can work potentially in a very short term but it probably isn't sustainable so to have maybe two or three weekends a year which are big tournaments for a sport like basketball and lots of sports can do the same thing to be focused on you keep your players training for a purpose they're working towards something and obviously the more of those that we can host the better um but we don't need to host all of them um and you know that can work its way across numerous sports the hotel industry here is you know pretty much at capacity in july and august but for 10 months of the year it isn't mm. right and therefore the real aim is to fill hotel beds on a long weekend in february and march and october november um, and, you know, obviously the hotel industry is welcoming that with open arms. It's exactly what they need. It makes their businesses more viable um, and it works, but it's manageable for the island because you're not bringing in 3,000 people. You're bringing in 200 people, right, for four or five nights, you know, and if two sports do it the same weekend or stagger the weekends, suddenly you've got almost every week something's going on and it's not just sport it's music it's arts say the principles are exactly the same it's an it's event tourism right and i'm obviously more biased and more leaning towards the sports side of things but for people who are involved in the music and the arts set up the the, the, the principles are exactly the same put on an event give people a reason to come to guernsey because it is an expensive place to come and 
casual tourists don't come in the way that they used to come. But if they've got a reason to come, they will come. And if you put on an event, which is a high quality event, they'll pay the Guernsey premium to come because travel cost, hotel cost, not cheap. If you're a participant in any sport and you've got maybe half a dozen events that you look at, of what you're going to commit to the following year, you're going to prioritise those. And you may well prioritise a more expensive one if it's the best one out there in terms of what it's, how well it's organised, what the facilities are, what the experience is. You'll give up one of the lesser ones to try and make sure you do the better ones. And that's where Guernsey's got to focus. So that means investment in facilities. Um, it doesn't have to be huge, but it needs to be facilities which are good enough to attract people. Yeah, and I think we've proved with the Island Games Week as well that the, the enthusiasm is there from local people to support those events. So, yeah. as you say, it, it's a very safe environment. You know, it's, it ticks a lot of boxes for people wanting to come across and exactly and take part. Yeah. And in your article, you kind of you, you outline the sort of mechanism that, that maybe could support that in terms of some sort of government support that, that rewards sports as well. Yeah, I mean, um, any sports club or association that wants to put on an event um, needs to fully commit to it. There's a lot of work involved. Um, many of these sports or all of these sports are either manned by volunteers or by paid executives who are busy, stretched, doing their day job, um, their day job being working for that, that organisation. And you suddenly land a tournament on somebody. Um, it can really detract completely from what they're supposed to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So yes, you can get volunteers in to help, et cetera, et cetera. But you've got to question why some of these sports would, would do this because they're going to be out of pocket. Um, they've probably got to outlay cash, deposits on hotels and all sorts of things. They've got to upgrade facilities, make sure the facilities are maintained, uh, repaired, and so, as well as upgraded. There needs to be a, a, a motivation for them to do so and they should be rewarded for doing so because effectively they're becoming part of Guernsey's marketing team. Right, they are filling hotel beds, and Visit Guernsey will, you know, got a huge budget. They spend it on on TV advertising, newspaper, media, um, which is very gen general uh, advertising. They probably don't know really what, which ones of those adverts really work and which ones don't um, in terms of who actually ends up coming. My idea is completely the opposite, where you actually reward people for having already delivered. An event. So if you know that you're putting on an event that's going to fill a thousand bed nights, my idea is that some department of the state, some budget in the states, political debate as to which where it should be paid from, would reward that sport or body with my suggestion of £10 a bed night. So that body, say basketball, put on an event for a thousand uh, bed nights, you get £10,000 out of it after the event. If you know that money's coming, you know what you can commit to, you know that, that that helps to subsidise a lot of the other things you might want to do, particularly sending junior teams away and that sort of thing. If you don't need to use it on facilities, you can use it on development. Athletics could do exactly the same. And, and of course, if you're sending youngsters away to the mainland to get better, you've got to send accompanying coaches, parents, sufficient adults with a group. It's not just the cost of sending that 14 year old away it's it's everybody that needs to go with them to meet all the the relevant um health, you know um, um safeguarding uh, issues um so for sports to be motivated and rewarded for for doing this but at no real cost to the taxpayer because the taxpayer is already getting the benefit from 
the spend on the island that these people have already spent, right? It's a, it's, I call it a commission in the article because that's effectively what it is. It's a thank you for having done this, but it's the best return on the, the, the marketing spend that Visit Guernsey can have to be only paying out for someone who has actually already turned up here. No speculative element, you know, to it at all. Um, and, you know, my target is to, would be to try and match the 20,000-ish bed nights that happened in the Island Games. That happened in one week. But in two to three years, we could be doing that per annum, but spread out over the, over the year. And that's just sport. And that doesn't include football or rugby with what they're already doing, which is probably pretty close to half that figure mm. already. Right? So sport tourism clearly has a leg, uh, is a leg of the economy that should be developed as, as well as the other events for art and music as well. And that model is such a simple one mm. with no risk to the taxpayer. So it should be a compelling one. Um, yeah, you know, somebody will fight over who should pay for it, but does it matter who pays for it as long as it gets, long as it gets paid? Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it's the only way that it can really work because asking the states to speculatively invest in something is hard, but to do it in reverse, it ought to be a lot easier. Yeah, Pete, for a, a sport potentially that might be looking then, as we said, to, to um, host a more boutique-y kind of basketball event down the line. I mean, is, does that, which is what Dave's outlined there, is that an attractive proposition for, for you guys? I think you just sound, everything Dave said, I've just been sat here nodding for the last <laughs> five minutes because it is that important thing. Like everyone says about money from the States, money from the States, but Dave hit the nail on the head. Does it need to be money from the States? I don't think it does. And the thing is as well is you've just got to make it attractive for people to come. You can't like make it overly expensive for people. Like we have an airline. So if we were to partner with other sports for a weekend and have a direct flight from the Isle of Man to Guernsey one way and teams go the other way. So the plane's not sat on the ground waiting to go back um, or fill it with like say tourists or whatever. Like we've seen Orini fly direct flights all over Europe this year. Like, in the winter months when it is quiet, like February, March, we're in the peak of our basketball season. Netball's in the peak of their season, volleyball. Like, we don't have to have our tournaments in the summer. Mm. And what Dave said is completely right. Those winter months where it's quieter in Guernsey, we should be looking to do events during that period. And if it means that flights are going one way and coming back the other with athletes going to another island and then some athletes are coming back this way, so I'm example a basketball tournament in Guernsey but a volleyball or netball tournament in the Isle of Man and they're switching over why not like mm. there's so much potential there and I think the island's got such a buzz about sport but it all comes down to negativity of money and as you know I'm not a negative person at all and I always try to look at the best in everything and look at what opportunity we can take and as an island we can't let the legacy of the Island Games fall away in the coming months. We've got a strike now. And that's what we're doing at basketball. That's what we're planning on doing. And we just need to maximise it now while we can. While the interest is there. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, what kind of feedback have you had this week? I've had um, five or six sports um, bodies already approaching me with um, a desire to meet next week with a 
have a conversation about what sort of events they would like to, to put on and, and, and what's feasible for them. Um, I've had uh, numerous people, more than that, more than half a dozen, sort of coming through saying would love to be involved of helping to develop the, the concept, getting involved with some part-time administration, um, voluntary help there. Um, and these are all people who have been in the sports world here for quite some time. They know their way around. Um, and I suspect that um, if you went wider to all the 1,200, 1,400, whatever it is, volunteers that came forward for the Ireland Games and said, well, how many of you would like to register for helping sports to organise events um, that will happen over the next two or three years? Um, you get a lot of people coming out of the, the woodwork as well. So, yeah, there's lots of conversations to, um, you know, to be had. And I think some sports will already have got specific ideas of what they'd love to put on. Others, I think it's probably got them thinking about what, what those options might be, because at the moment, without any sort of real push or incentive from the states to do anything, a lot of sports, I think, could easily just fall back into, well, this is what we do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and anything out there, um, it sort of dies, it dies a bit of a death and then, you know, we lose that momentum of, of the Ireland Games. When I started really sort of pushing sports tourism, it was probably about 2016, 2017, um, perhaps 14 years after the last Ireland Games, and you didn't have that energy and momentum on the back of that previous Games. Um, my worry has always been that, you know, a month after the Ireland Games, you look around the island and you see there is no infrastructure legacy still there. It's invisible. Right. Um, and that was the same in 2003. You've got the Lagarin stand was the only thing that's really evident that something happened that was upgraded. Um, and Beausejour was built in whatever it was, 1977 or something. Um, and yes, you know, it has a bit of a, you know, a spring clean and a few little upgrades there, but it's not evident. But so many of the things are temporary. You know, the stands, the, the flooring that was used for basketball, right? It's gone, right? Yeah, and, and, Dave's and, completely right. I was in Bozajor yesterday and yeah. I walked in there and it's just a sports you wouldn't know it again. Happened. You yeah. wouldn't even know it. Yeah. Well, it so legacy facilities and facilities are, a, a, you know, a huge thing. We've got to make sure that the facilities are fit for purpose, which doesn't necessarily mean spending huge amounts. It means spending what we have to spend, for example, on the school's facilities and making sure that those are optimised for community joint usage. Um, that is the plan at Les Osway, and let's hope it comes to fruition. Um, obviously, it's part of a wider education debate, but even if the education bit of it doesn't come through, you'd like to think that a sports facility there should still happen, right? Because the need is still there. Um, and if you can't build that, that sports facility at wherever that sixth form might go, if it doesn't go there, you're still going to need one somewhere. And, uh, you know, hopefully that could still get built at, uh, at Les Osway. But that would solve a lot of the problems. I mean, it might be, you know, three to five years before it actually gets usable. But um, you've got to have a plan. It's got to happen so at some point. Mm. And just coming back to the sports tourism push, I mean, what is the next step? Did, uh, is it doing a, a pilot event with that kind of funding scheme attached to it so that you can kind of demonstrate to other sports this is what you can um, do? Yeah, it's very early stages uh, at the moment, but certainly there are conversations that I'm intending to have with um, the uh, the economic development um, people to to get some sort of um, initial commitment 
to doing something um, to, to, to make sure that there is some funding there before there's a slightly bigger commitment. I mean, the sums are not huge. Um, you know, I mean, I worked out that if you if you if you reach twenty thousand bed nights, um, you're talking about a two hundred thousand pound spend, right, for something that's already delivered. So it's not a big spend. Um, it shouldn't be difficult to make that happen. I don't really feel that it is something that the hotels um, should be paying because that could be the fallback from the state's position. Say, so, well, hang on, it's the hotels that benefit. It's it's not cheap to come here. It's not cheap to stay here. And part of what needs to happen is that the hotels need to give group discounts for the number of people that are are going to be coming in. So to ask for hotels to then pay on top of giving a discount, they have to pay the commission, if you like, themselves, then it starts to not work for those hotels in the same way. This needs to be taxpayer funded somehow, but in a in a guaranteed way with you know lowest risk and best return to the taxpayer. Um, and I'm I'm convinced that whichever pot it comes out of, it should be coming out of the taxpayer's um, pocket somehow. Um, but in a in a way that most people would say, well, actually, that's good value, because uh, if it's not good value, it won't happen. And also with my business head on rather than my basketball head on, like Guernsey economy must have spiked during the Island Games week. Like just people spending on the island, like. Even some of the basketball guys were said to me, right, where can we go to buy clothes and stuff? And they come back and they were like VAT free. Yeah. Like some of the islands like were like, oh, my goodness, we picked up stuff at a real good deal. Or even just their food shopping because some of them were staying in self-catering apartments. So they were going to Waitrose, Mark Spencer's. Like how much are they actually spending on island when they're here? So I think there is... Like Dave said, there's a much bigger picture of, mm-hmm. as an economy, how much we're going to benefit from the sports tourism on the spend on the island, not just getting here in a hotel bed, but how much money did both your cafe take that week? Like, things like that. Like, they probably had their best week that they've had for 15 years. My, my, my calculations are, uh, this has sort of evolved over the years, but... The on-island spend, including hotel, restaurant, bar, taxi, coach hire, facilities hire, um, and it's probably ignoring retail spend that mm. you mentioned because that's probably harder to, to map. It's typically about £150 per person per bed night, mm. um, and that's excluding getting here. Yeah. Right. So, of course, if they come by Orini, that's money straight to the taxpayer effectively. Um, if they come by uh, Condor or by other charter or, or, or by Blue Islands, um, then we still got landing fees and port fees and and things, um, but obviously they once they get here, it's 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 what they spend whilst they're here. So you know, twenty thousand, sorry, two thousand, get me right, twenty thousand bed nights at a, mm. around one hundred and fifty pound a bed night. That's three million plus. So three to three and a half million would be my estimate of, and I think Isle of Man is projecting something similar for for when they host it in in a couple of years' time. Well, put it into context, Dave. Like our officials that travelled over for that week of the Isle of Gains, we gave them a subsidy of three hundred pound per head. Yeah, and that was their money to spend on their food or drink or whatever mm. they wanted for that week. So that's fifteen people at three hundred pound a head that we gave. Yeah, like what are they then spending themselves on top of that? And I know none of them had any money. That three hundred pound left when they left because they're very thankful for it. And they're like, "Oh my goodness, thank you for doing that." Mm. But if they're coming over and using their own money, it yeah, the economy's gonna it's gonna help for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, and Guernsey needs that boost. 
We keep getting told we've got no money. Let's use sport to boost that economy. Well, so if you ex- if you extrapolate that, if you achieve twenty thousand bed nights in three years and extend that to the arts and music as well, and let's say between them they they match that, you know, you you you're then talking about you know six seven million pounds a year that doesn't currently exist uh, of of GDP contribution. Um, you know, that's not to be not to be sniffed at. Um, yeah. And these are also visitors who come over for an event. To participate, they don't have much downtime while they're here. They don't really get a chance to see too much of the island. How many of them come back later uh, on a on a trip? Um, say, I'm going to love to go back to Guernsey for four or five days. We don't necessarily know about them because they do that off their own bat. They're not mm. when they come back for holiday. Um, and we see this with some of the rugby and football spectators that come over for a you know a three day weekend to watch their team when they're playing in Guernsey. Well, quite a few of them come back and stay they like the hotel they like the island they want to see more of it they probably do get a chance to see more of it because they're only here as spectators but participants don't have much downtime you know they don't have days off right so you know they say well i really enjoyed guernsey but i'd love to find out i'd love to go across to herm or to sark and 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 make a make a trip of it um they don't do that so they're more likely to come back and have a uh, and and have a a, a proper holiday out of it (laughs) Yeah, and I think beyond beyond the economic benefit, just the buzz and the, the kind of the enrichment to the island, kind of socially and culturally, mm. uh, is worth as much as anything as well, isn't it? It's, um, you know, that that yeah, nothing will quite replicate Island Games Week, but we just can't have an island. We really can't good. have an Island Games blues. We need to. <laughs> yeah. We literally need to strike while the iron's hot, hundred percent. Because, as Dave mentioned again before, what you don't want to do is. All the teams, local teams, go. Oh, the Island Games was great. Do you remember that week? You want them to be like, right? What's next? What are we doing next? What? How can we attract people to come to the Island so that we can continue playing at this level? And that's what that's what we need. Pete Bose here from Guernsey Basketball and Dave Pising, um, who will be beating the drum for sports tourism. Uh, speaking to me there, um, yeah, really. Well, really interesting opportunity, I think it's fair to say, um, for Guernsey. But yeah, uh, the time really is now to act on it. So um, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be following uh, the progress on that front very closely here at the Guernsey Press. Um, so stay tuned uh, for more on this podcast and in the pages of the paper as well. Uh, make sure you pick up a paper six days a week um, for the very best local sports coverage. We'll be back next Wednesday with another Guernsey Press Sport podcast. So stay tuned for that and make sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your shows to get every episode delivered straight to you. We are, of course, also on social media at GSY Press Sport, the place to go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and threads. Um, right, cool. Thanks very much. Harry, thanks for coming in and having a chat. Yeah, cheers for having we'll me see second. you next week. Yeah. Well, I'll see you in about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but we'll, uh, we'll have you on again next week. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.